Come on, everybody get set, let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low. Listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Hey, Tess, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Sitting here with a longtime friend. Yes, sir. Um, man, there's so much to say about this dude, man. Just uh, a great journey, and I always love bringing the audience great journeys. You know, you talk about somebody who was a walk-on, turned his dreams and in, you know in, in, into into reality, traveled the world, uh, Brooklyn night, uh, fellow sneaker lover. Yes, sir. Just a friend, Smush Park in the building. What's going on, Premium Pete? Man, man, man. First of all, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. You know, um, I've seen you. Um, just develop over the years even more so so much like become a father mm-hmm. you know I seen you when you were playing ball in the NBA then overseas I mean yo right off the bat I want to talk about something you said that what did you play in what sneakers did you play in when you were playing in the NBA when I was playing in the NBA I was, I was uh, playing in Nikes okay did you have like a sponsorship or something uh, it was more so endorsements okay you so know? you just get free kicks yeah, and shit. free okay. kicks now uh you know, I currently play in brand black. Okay. And that's Jamal Crawford's brand, right? Yes, sir. Is there a reason by it? Is it comfortable? Is it? Uh, I mean, I, they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just something different. You know, over the years, I've graduated from playing in Nikes to playing in Adidas. Now I play in brand black. You know, it's all a performance, performance shoe. Yeah, the reason why I say that for is because, you know, obviously, we... I know you in the sense of sneaker sense. We we, we love to floss. I mean, mm-hmm. so we, we had Jordans, yeah. Uptowns, you know, everything. But you know what? There is a performance basketball game, you know, footwear. Meaning like, you know, when Jordan was making all these, you know, Jordan 30s, 29s, you know, uh, um, all these different performance. But it's more expensive. Yes, sir. And I feel like, you know, I, and I say this all the time, that they stopped putting good materials in Jordans because mm-hmm. people weren't hooping in them. Yeah. You know, um, I know the the NBA sometimes has like people wearing Yeezys now, or you know, foam pods and shit like that. But I, but I mean, you know, the game is 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 you know to me, um, you know, performance based. It's tough. It's tough yeah. because people can't afford performance sneakers. And does it really matter performance sneakers? Do yeah, you think it de- so? It definitely matters. Um, a real performance shoe mm. that definitely takes care of your ankles, your feet, and you know your knees and all that stuff. But a lot of the sneakers now are just style. Mm. You know, it's just for look. You know, I, you know, not to knock Nike, but Nikes right now are just for the look, not performance. Mm. You know, it doesn't make sense for guys. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, to play in low tops. Yeah. In a, in a, you know, I mean, granted, the pros, we tape. We're professionals. They, they tape, so we have ankle support. But you got guys playing in the street in low tops, that's dangerous. Sure. You know, these guys ain't getting taped up playing in the gym. You know, we can, we as professionals can, you know, play in low-top sneakers. But, you know, the average Joe Smo is getting these low-tops that they see. You know, Steve Nash started that trend, wearing yeah. low-top sneakers. Playing on concrete with the cracks, that's not that's not, that's not not a good look. What size shoe you wear? I wear a size 12. A size 12. And always was it was that did you what what uh, year did you get into twelve? Like was uh, well, I play in twelves because I play in extra socks, but I wear you know a size eleven. Okay, but 
But you, when you were growing up, you had a size like nine, ten, okay. ten and a half. Because so you know, some kids are like twelve when they're like twelve. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, nah, I never had you know extremely big feet. Okay, okay. All right, I ain't asking for any of those reasons <laughs> if people are trying to say. But listen, Smush, let's get back to you. Born and raised in Brooklyn, yes, sir. Kings County. Yes, sir. Come on, man. County of Kings. Fellow Brooklyn Knight. Stand up. Mom and dad. You you mentioned this before. Mom and dad play ball. What yeah. does that mean? How did mom and dad play ball? Explain what do you that to me, man. It's New York City. There's a street, but there's a basketball court on every corner in New York City. Mm. There's no way you you could grow up in New York City and not play basketball. You know, my dad played. You know, at West Fourth Street. Everybody knows. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, West Fourth Street. Uh, my dad played there. My mom also played. What uh, did your mom play? You know, I unfortunately I wasn't able to ask her. You know, she passed when I was young, mm. so uh, I just know that she was around the game. She played a little bit. So even before I was born, you know, I was always hearing the beat of the basketball. And, you know, when I you know when I was born, West Fourth Street just became my crib. Literally. Mm. That's not, I'm not exaggerating. West Fourth Street was my crib. Got a tattooed on my leg, got a tattooed on my arm. West Fourth Street was my crib growing up. Mm. You know, you, you, you lost your mother at a young age. Yes, sir. Now your father, did he have to raise you? Yes. So, you know, because I heard you mention before that, um, you know, you played with a lot of older men, mm-hmm. you know, meaning in basketball. Yeah. And uh, they would bully you or, or just make it hard for you. You know how OGs yeah. are, like, you know, yeah. they ain't going to give you a bucket. Definitely or they're not, not. going to give you, you know, uh, let you just, you know, walk in and do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Was that tough for you to not have the mom type of, you know, soft love? Well, I didn't know what soft love was. Mm. You know, it was just tough for me to not have a mom, period. You know, it wasn't just because I was looking for uh, soft love, but I knew when she passed, I was nine. So I, I, you know, I had her for nine years, so I knew what it was to have her around. And when she was gone, I, I was old enough to know that she wasn't there anymore, and I knew that there was something missing. Um, but, you know, like you said, my, my dad raised me, you know, he's the, you know, my best friend, put it that way. Mm. Um, but back in the, I grew up in the, in the nineties, I was born in 81, eighties, 80, 80s, nineties. That's when family was family. Community was community. Sure. So my dad had help, you know, um, friends, you know, uncle, yeah, uncles, aunts, you know, neighbors, mm. you know, that that's that was the years where the neighbors were able to watch you, yeah, watch you, take care of you, raise you, and say exa- you know, discipline you if you needed to be disciplined. Nowadays, you can't say nothing to nobody. Yeah, you know, you, it's a great point because it's like I remember neighbors too. Like, yo, what the fuck you doing over here? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gonna tell your mother. Like, mm-hmm. I'll call your mother right now. You going home? Yes, sir. Now it's like you know, people don't care or people nah, don't. You know, the parents are like, what, what are you? Don't don't say nothing to my child. Yeah, <laughs> you're not that. You're not their parent. You know, I've realized too, as being a parent, and I know you uh, became a parent a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it's like sometimes I feel like um, we're too protective with our kids, where you have the blinders on. Mm. You know, you got to be very open-minded. Mm-hmm. You know, I've learned that throughout the years. You know, sometimes like not my kid. Like I remember my mother. Like it's crazy too, because I remember I got caught with weed in the house. And my mother, like, you know, and I remember my father telling her, it's weed. It's weed. And I was like, my, it's pencil shavings. And she's like, my son wouldn't have any weed in the house. And I was like, let's see, mom, would I ever do that to you? But what I'm saying is sometimes parents are blind. Not saying you or me. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 trust me, like, and the crazy thing is kids will always try to get over on you. Mm-hmm. My daughter's 17 years old. Mm-hmm. She f- continuously tries to get over me. I'm like, yo, you think I'm that fucking dumb? Mm-hmm. I'm still, I, I'm still young. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've done what you have tried to do. You know, you're like, yeah. 
you know, anyway, you recently become a dad. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago. How old is your daughter? No, she's, she's five now. Okay. Yeah. How has that been for you? It's been an amazing journey. Um, it's been life changing. Um, when I had, when she was born, you know, like you said, I, you know, everybody knows I played in the NBA six years. Um, when she was born, it was the biggest accomplishment I've ever accomplished in my life. Mm. I wouldn't, if I, if, if somebody would have told me having my daughter or playing in the NBA, choose one, I would have had my daughter. Mm. That's, you know, that's how excited I was of being a dad. You know, just seeing that little face that looks exactly like you, mm. you know, looks up at you and smiles at you, you know, is dependent on you. You know, somebody that you can love on and kiss on. And it, that feeling of being a dad was the most incredible feeling in the world to me. Yeah, it's a, it's important, you know, to experience those feelings, man. I'll tell you one thing, man. When I had my daughter, man, I felt the same way. Mm. I still feel that even having a son, you know, it's like, it's just that they change you, man. Yes, yes, they they, they give you reason. I'll be honest with you, too. Like People look at you, they may say, you know, oh, Smush, you played in the NBA, did this. They don't realize maybe maybe you're not always fully happy. Maybe mm. you get depressed at times. But kids, I feel like, yo, they, they make you smile even when you, yeah. you may not want to smile. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And like you said, you know, like you said uh, earlier in our old conversation outside, you know, there's something about having a little girl that just makes fathers just yeah, melt. Yeah, sure, sure. Just like my heart just melts for my daughter. Yeah. No, it's a special thing, man. It's a special thing. But let's get back to, so you, you, you're in West Fourth Court. Yes, sir. Living there. Yes, sir. Growing up there. Playing with all the OGs. Yes, sir. How did you prove to them that you were good? Because I'm sure you said that they were knocking you down. I'm sure they wouldn't let you score a fucking basket. And those are a lot of old heads that are hard-headed. Yeah. Like, they would never just let you get a bucket. You know what? I still got to prove to prove to them that I'm good. Man. I'm still <laughs> fighting to this day to, you know, get on the court and play. And, you know, um, West 4th Street is about, it's not about giving respect. That's what made West 4th Street West 4th Street. They didn't give guys respect. It's not about who you are and what name you came in with. It's about you showing up, playing hard, winning basketball games. And that's just the culture I grew up in, and that's what, you know, made me tough. That's that's what gave me the edge to beat the guys out. That was, um, quote, unquote, you know, uh, went, to the, went to the better universities than okay, I did. Okay. You know, went to, you know, who was, quote, unquote, oh, yeah, this guy's going to the NBA. Th- these guys, you know, over here went is going to the NBA. But who's smush? Who were some of the people you looked up to in West Forth? Man, so many names, man. See if you could drop some. So many names. You know, everybody, everybody there is family. You know, shout out to my Uncle Ice. Mm. Shout out to Uncle Doc. Mm. Uh, shout out to Air Ross. Shout out, shout out to Uncle Rock also. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of guys, man. You know, I call them my uncle because they all raised me. Yo, you know, you they know, all raised me. Do you know there's a lot of, I don't know, if you ever seen this, but I think that there's tons of even like Tinker Hatfield, you know, big big designer at Nike. Mm-hmm. I remember him mentioning that he used to come down as business trips mm-hmm. to West Forth and watch the kids play to get some experience on designs and just what he wanted to do. I mean, there was a lot of people coming there, you know, to check out what was going on and check the plays, you know? Yeah. What about, like, even, like, when you were playing, was there any, like, scouts there or any? Listen, I didn't know if there were scouts there. That, you know, it could have been NBA coaches there. I didn't know. I was just playing basketball. At that, when I was when I was young, it was all about the love of the game. 
Mm. I wasn't I wasn't doing it for the fame. I wasn't doing it for the money. I wasn't doing it to try to even make the NBA. I was just playing to play because I loved the game. Mm. You know, you always mentioned that you loved the game, and then you said that when you got into the game, mm. that uh, you kind of fell out of love with it. Uh-oh. No, yeah. no, I know you you, no. you you mentioned that somewhat, right? No, yeah, I, you know, it's unfortunate, but basketball here in America is a business. Mm. And I didn't learn that until I was 36 years old. Mm. Yeah, break that down, like, for people who are listening. Like, what is not a business if it's not, like, is the overseas different? Is is, is... No, overseas is definitely different. Um, there's a there's no politics involved or less politics involved. There's no sponsors and there's no advertisement. You know, there's no TV deals. It's just all about winning games out there. How do the players make money? How do they get well, a salary? Overseas? Yeah. Um, I mean, teams out and overseas are independently owned. Okay. You know, here corporations own teams, you know, the TV deals, you know, own teams and arenas and things like that. So they want to make money that way, you know, and, and you know, advertise commercials and uh, image, you know. if I t- It's a business here, you know, you have to look those, look a certain way. You know, Allen Iverson was at Allen Iverson when he got to the NBA. Mm. Prime example, he didn't have all the tattoos and the braids and the gold and the jewelry. Mm. Had Allen Iverson been Allen Iverson before he got drafted, he probably would have never got drafted. Mm. You, um, you, you mentioned that um, you know being in the league, mm-hmm. playing for six years in NBA. Yeah. Did you, besides getting a salary, did you get any type of commercials you did or any type of extra things that you had to do or to to make extra money outside of outside of playing in the NBA? Well, well, I guess for your agent or something like that. No, nah, I never had You know, any. some people get Subway commercials. Yeah, I, or... never, I never had anything. My name wasn't that big. Okay. You know, I did little, you know, New York City stuff. You know, my face was all over the billboards doing ads, campaign ads for Nike and stuff like that back in the day. But I didn't get paid for that stuff. Yeah. But that was just local. That was New York City. I think the game has expanded too a lot more now. Like Meaning, like, you know, they have, like, brand managers now besides only managers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But even even in the sense of, and, and we'll get to it, we'll bounce around, but, you know, um, like getting yourself a business manager. Did you ever have one or a no, lawyer? No. Okay. So how did you know what to, like, how to control yourself in spending? Because like yo, we met we we, we met years, <laughs> you years know, ago. You know I didn't control myself in spending. No, man. but how do you like? <laughs> <laughs> you know I did. No, man. I know. <laughs> yo, well, let me tell you something, internet. When I was in retail, man, yo, Smush is a, a true sneaker lover, man. Not once, not twice, but multiple times. Uh, Smush would come, and you know how somebody would say, "Let me get uh, two pairs of those." Let me get Smush would say, "Let me get those, 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 those." Yeah, let me get those. Let me get those and those and those. Yeah, let me get that too. Okay, those. Yo, Smush would spend not one time, not two times, not three times, but thousands on kicks. Oh, and 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 you had that Mercedes. Yo, you know what? We had to talk before him. You had that Mercedes that that uh, what was that? The two door. It was a, it was actually a four door S six. Okay, it was four door. Okay, yeah. I thought it was two door. V twelve bi turbo. And when you said that once the baby came, you started to change things around. Oh, yeah. But also, I feel like you started to. You found church and stuff like that that I heard you speak about, mm-hmm. but you more so change your flashy type super style for for what? what? Nah, well, you know, uh, once I had my daughter, it wasn't you know about me anymore. You know, I had 
you know, somebody else I had to provide for. So she became number one. It was, you know, before her, I was living for myself. I was traveling, buying, you know, sneakers, buying clothes, buying jewelry, you know, putting money, unnecessary money in the cars. Now that I think, you know, now that I'm old enough, older now, I know that some of the stuff I did when I was 20s with, with money is kind of like. What do you mean, like accessories? Yeah, rims? Listen, I put so much money into the cars. You know, rims, you know, yeah. But, I mean, I was flipping cars upside down, turning them inside out, mm. you know, changing everything. <laughs> um, what What would you say is the most craziest thing you ever bought? Or or the one you look back and like, damn, man, I'm just being foolish. Um, I, you know what? You know what's crazy? Uh, the one thing I say I, you know, was foolish is I bought the Air Mags. Oh, okay, the the Back to the Future joints. Yeah. How much were those joints? Five thousand. Okay, okay. Hey, listen, that's that's actually 5, not bad for to. I've seen people pay more money than that. Yeah, but no, I know, right. I know. Bought four pair of sneakers. I know, but you don't realize that until you get older. Exactly. And then you have a kid, and then mm-hmm. you start thinking the shit like that. And that's in a, exactly a ch- when you know the light bulb went off and. I stopped doing all that stuff as soon as my baby was born. Mm-hmm. Like you said, life changes for you once uh, once you have a child. No, it definitely does. When you look back, uh, playing in West 4th Street, when did you think that you were good enough to make it to the NBA? That's a good question, but I always knew. Mm. Um, and I said earlier, I wasn't playing at West 4th Street or playing at any park to make, to, you know, to make the NBA or to impress anybody. I just knew that when I saw you know, the NBA and watching basketball on TV, and that was a job. That was a way to make money. I knew I loved to play basketball. I was like, that's what I want to do. I had no idea on how to get there. I didn't have a scheme, a plan. I didn't play on any AAU team. AAU teams. I didn't go to a big, you know, junior high school or a big basketball program high school. I, I was just playing basketball because I loved the game. Where'd you go? You went to Fordham. I went to I went to Fordham. I went to Newtown High School in Queens. Okay, and then you transferred to I, Fordham. Yeah, okay. I went to I went to junior college one year, and then I came back and transferred to Fordham. What made you do that? Junior college, I didn't have to, I didn't have the grades. Mm. No, leaving high school. Well, was that? But that was a good move for you at that time. Oh, yeah, it was definitely. A, it was a. It was the best plan. It was yeah. the best plan for me. You know, because at that time I knew the road I needed to take to get to the NBA when I went to college. But mm-hmm. well, when I was in high school, I was just playing basketball because I loved the game. Yeah. Then I had, you know, I started meeting people because I, because I was good. And they was telling me, listen, you need to go to this university. You need to do it this way. You need to do it that way. You know, shout out to Rodney Parker, no relation, but he's the one that, you know, laid the the, the foundation for me to get to the NBA. He, it was like the Yellow Brick Road. He had everything planned out. Did you trust in him at the oh, time? I, I, I trusted yes. I put my I put my basketball career in his hands, and he. Where did you meet this guy? Ronnie Park playing at West Fourth Street. Really? Wow! I was playing as a kid. I was what fifteen, sixteen years old, just playing in the park, and he came, saw me, and was like, "Listen, yo, you good? Come to this park. I want you to play against this kid." And I would go because I love playing the game. I'd go there, destroy. He'd take me to this park, out in Queens. Take me to this court out in the Bronx. Take me to this court out in. So he expanded. My basketball, my my basketball branches. I was only I grew up at West Fortune. That's all. I, that's where I was playing. Sure, sure. I feel like in life, in anything you do, you always need a mentor and a hype man. Mm-hmm. You know, because you look at it like, say, if you were an artist and your bars were crazy, mm-hmm. people would take you around like, "Yo, battle this dude." 
Yo, he mm-hmm. nasty. Get yeah, battle this dude. Get yeah, battle. So they were doing that yeah. in basketball yeah. for you. Yeah. Like, yo, play. Oh, I told you this kid's nasty. Yeah. And you, oh, I feel like you always need that mentor, and that um, you know, when you uh, got in, and we'll go over it. But uh, do you still talk to this guy, or he passed right, away? He passed away. Okay, rest but in peace. When I tell you, like, he laid out the the road, the found the foundation for me. He was like, if you follow these steps, you will make it to the NBA. Mm-hmm. He knew I was good enough. I knew I was good enough. But I didn't have a game plan. He had the game plan. And literally, I followed his steps, step by step, and where I end up. Mm. In the NBA. And we'll get to that soon. Your favorite uh, player as a kid growing up? Come on, man. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Tongue out. Exactly. Air. Air. Ma- Michael Air. Michael his Air. Airness. His airness. Yeah. His airness. You know, everybody wanted to be like Mike Ben, man. Yeah. I mean, um, just just cocky but confident. Flashy. You, you wasn't you wasn't seeing that kind of flair, yeah, back then. That you know, just coming down the lane and dunking on people. The, I mean, it was for me. You know what? For me, it was it was it was a, it was a, it was who 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 else was there to watch? Yeah, they wasn't even playing the Knicks on on television when I was growing up. Yeah, it was always the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls was always being aired on TV. When you were um, in the NBA, and you would you know come down the lane and dunk on somebody, mm-hmm. did you ever try to emulate Jordan or just emulate yourself? Nah, I just like your first time, a couple of times. You know what I mean? Like meaning, like you know, you coming down that lane and. Well, I mean, everybody wanted. To, I guess there was some kind of airness in my in my in my mind that come down the lane. I with seen one a couple hand. of throwdowns from you. You know, I, I'm. I, I'm not a real big guard, you know. I don't have big hands. I could never. How tall are you? I'm six four now, but when I was growing up, I was always short. Okay. You know, I couldn't pawn the ball like Mike. I just wanted to come down and jump and dunk you, it over wait, people. Listen, you banged it on a couple of people. Uh, who, do you, I forgot <laughs> who. Who are some of the people you banged it on? Do you remember those moments? Oh, I remember the moments. I remember the moments. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. There's a couple of people, man. There's a couple of people that the got one, the one. The one that I, that sticks out to me the most is the one when I dunked on Ben Wallace. Oh, really? Because he was the defensive player of the year. That yeah, year. Oh, in Detroit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, we're gonna get to how you got an NBA because I really feel like your story, honestly, is is an amazing journey. Just from playing, playing, playing in the, basically, we could say like this: a kid growing up in New York City, that you know played in the playgrounds of New York City mm-hmm. and made it all the way to mm-hmm. the courts of the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, that sounds like it's like like, like a together uh, sentence, but that takes a long time to get there. Yeah. So let's take it. You play in Fordham, right? Mm-hmm. You even play with uh, um, A. Butter, right? Adrian Ward. That's right. That's right. Shout out to a- Shout out to him, what he's doing. Yeah. No. I, like, I like that Streets First podcast, you know, uh, really just – you know, um, something he loves and focusing on that. Yeah. But um, you uh, play with him, mm-hmm. right? And how long did you stay in uh, Fordham? I was there one year. One year? One year. Why? Because I knew where I wanted to go. Okay. No, I, actually, you know what? That's a lie. I knew where I wanted to go, but my plan was to stay in Fordham for at least two years. Okay. And there's a long story on why I was only there for one. I'll give you the short version. Okay. Uh, after my first season uh, playing at Fordham, I wanted to test the waters to see, you know, what kind of competition it was going to be, where I needed to be 
to get to the NBA. So there's a there's a process where you can put your name in a draft, go to all the combines, work out, and then remove yourself out of the draft and still be eligible to play uh, the next uh, next year in college. So that's what I did. You know, it was just to test the waters to see what the comp, what the comp was like. So I, you know, I'm going to these combines. You know, I'm meeting up with guys who, you know, I don't want to drop any names, but these are guys who did their thing in big D1, you know, uh, basketball basketball programs, Maryland, Gonzaga, uh, Duke, North Carolina. And I am destroying these guys, like washing these guys. And my name started circula- circle, uh, circulating around, you know, through the, you know, through the gym, the, the all the coaches, all the scouts, you know, everybody in the gym was, yo, who's this much pocket kid? Where did he come from? So by the end of the combine, I had an unsigned agent at the time who was like, listen, there are people, there are teams, everybody's talking about you. They're saying that you could go lottery. They're saying that you could do this. What you want to do? So I decided to keep my name in the draft. And this was what? How old were you? I was 21. Okay. I was 21. And there's also a long story on why I didn't get drafted. Okay. Well, give us the short one. (laughs) Um, Well, as you uh, could imagine, this wasn't my decision to stay in the draft didn't go over with my uh, college coach. Mm. Because with me leaving would have messed up his program. He was counting on me to... Build his program. What was that guy's name? He was Bob Hill. Bob Hill. He yeah. played a he uh, coached. Did he pass? Yeah. No, didn't he? I don't know. I don't think Bob Hill passed. Did, I thought he did. Oh, I have no idea. I, I stopped following him after my college career. You know, um, he uh, he wasn't. He was disappointed that I was uh, leaving his program. So why? Because he wanted to win in college. Exactly. That, that's crazy that some coaches could be selfish like mm-hmm. that. Ain't it? But don't you want the betterment of the of the players to yeah, move on? Exactly. So uh, he wasn't happy and pleased. So um, he sabotaged my my uh, my name throughout the NBA. Really? Yes, sir. How did he do that? I mean, uh, of course, you know, you know, these scouts want to know where I came from, what kind of kid I was, am I coachable, am I this, am I that. So they gave my college coach a call, and when they did that, he went out his way to. You know, talk negatively about me, mm. and you know he coached in the NBA fifteen years, so he had he had the the pull to do that. People trusted did his you word. Bump heads with him a lot. I didn't. So I why, mean, why would he, he, like I said, like I said, he wanted he wanted me to come back to his program. He wasn't he wasn't pleased with me leaving his program. So and, and and this is the head coach of Fordham. Yes, sir. Let me tell you something, man. I said rest in peace. I don't know if he passed. Okay, but it doesn't matter. Rest in peace anyway. Because after doing something like that, rest in peace to even wanting to know you. Like, now, now, did you ever get a chance to tell him, like, you know, fuck, why would you do that shit? I don't know why. You know, um, he denies it to this day, but I have NBA teams who have played me his uh, voicemail messages that he's left mm. saying some foul stuff. So because of that, you didn't get drafted? I didn't get drafted. Okay. And I actually had a choice to get drafted in the second round, um, but I, I opted out of getting, not getting drafted out of the second round. Do you regret when, that today? No. When that happens, you're, when a team drafts you in the second round, you're, you're bound to that team, 
whether they need you or not, they could cut you at any time. Um, they can they could draft you and say they have already four point guards and I'm a point guard. They could bring you in and then release you, but you're still tied to that one team. I decided not to get drafted so I could have the choice what, on what team I wanted to go to. Mm. So it was a game plan, it, it, and it worked in my favor because I was able to sit down with my with my team, my agent, and was like, okay, well, this is the best situation for me to go to. Let me go try to make the Cleveland Cavaliers team because they have, you know, three point guard spots open. Mm. And that's when you decided to go. Um, now, now, how does that even happen? So you, would you go like um, practice with them? Or? No, I I entered. I, I played in the NBA summer league all see, all summer. Mm -hmm. I played with the Orlando Magic Summer League and two Summer Leagues, and then I played with the Toronto Raptors. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the the summer, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, called my agent and said they they wanted me to come to their their camp. But didn't they have like three or four point guards? No, they they only had one signed or two signed and, or excuse me, they, they probably only had one signed and four four spots open for a point guard. Mm. Mm. So go ahead. So so you played the summer league. I played the summer league. Did, did what I needed to do. Killed, destroyed everybody. Got a got an invite to uh, the Cavs camp. Still not signed. They just invited me to come work out. And literally, I I just beat everybody out. Everybody out for a spot. I was a walk on pretty much for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And fifteen games into the season, I was a starter. And and did they let you know that that was a possibility? No, not at all. So now, now from a um, a financial sense, did they tell you they were going to sign you, or like how did that happen? No, uh, when I was going into the camp, I didn't. My my mindset was I have to make these guys sign me. Mm. I have to prove to them that I can play at this level and that, that they need to sign me. And of course, of you know, at the camp they bring in, you know. 10 point guards, 10 small forwards, 10 centers. They bring in about 50 guys to try to make 12, 15 roster spots. Mm. And here's the business side of the game. They bring in 50 guys to try to make 15 roster spots, but they might have had already uh, eight guaranteed players signed from the season before. Mm. So that only leaves, what, uh, seven, uh, seven roster spots open? So you have 50 guys in camp trying to get you know get these you know get a spot out of these seven spots now now how did you okay you said 15 yeah, games at, into the season yeah, 15 games into the season i became you, a strong point guard how did you when when did you get that news uh they just told you come in the game one night one day um i don't know i don't remember that one that that was too that was way too long ago i remember the la uh story about how i became a point guard there but as far as the, uh, we'll yeah. get to LA one second. I want to <laughs> th- don't jump all over the place. So, um, with so so, but do you remember the first time you played walking onto that court as an NBA player? Do you remember that moment, your first basket? Yeah, I I remember my first basket. My first basket was a dunk. Mm. How that? I, rem- I remember. I remember who was on too. Um, what's his name? It was a fast break dunk, and. Like a lot of my dunks, I I told you know in my mind when I dunk it on people, I tell them in my mind, meet me upstairs. Mm. I'm going upstairs, meet me up here. Mm. And I went up, and homeboy didn't jump. He kind of just kind of moved out of the way. But my first NBA points was an NBA dunk. Yeah. 
how did you like you know just like being from West Forestry, being from New York City, being a Brooklynite? After that first game, mm-hmm. did you celebrate? How did you, you did you enjoy that moment? Nah, you know what? I never really had a chance to celebrate because I I tell I tell people to this day, although I had six years in the NBA, I never really felt like I was in the NBA. Mm. Why is that? Because nothing was guaranteed. Like I never had. Up until I was signed with the Miami Heat, I never had a guaranteed contract. You know how you hear about guys signing six-year deals for X amount of dollars? My my contract was always, okay, you know, you're, we'll guarantee you or we'll sign you for the season, but we can cut you anywhere bet- from now until January 15th. Mm. So until January 15th, my contract wouldn't have been guaranteed or wouldn't be guaranteed. So they could have cut me at any point before January 15th. So that was like the first contract you had. Yeah, that was pretty much all the contracts I had. And and what about what about money? Like, how did you know what was I mean, good? You just took whatever they gave you. Like, nah. Uh, my first few years was I was you know I got the rookie minimum, rookie minimum, mm-hmm. uh, my rookie season, and then my second year I got the second year minimum. Well, Each year, what is something like that? So, um. Well, when I was playing, my the rookie minimum was thirty, uh, three hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, and then it goes up every year. You are playing the NBA, so the so the next year I believe was like four eighty, then five forty. You know, so the more years you play, your minimum goes up. We grew up in Brooklyn. Yeah, you didn't really make that type of money. No, sir. How the fuck did you react when you get this money in your account? Yeah, the first place I went was to the mall. <laughs> Come on, man. And the first place I went was to the Foot Locker, Foot Action. Okay. And bought kicks? Of course. Okay. Of course. What else? What else? You know, you mentioned that you, you and, and again, we'll bounce around. We're going to get through, we're going to try to go through the career, but you mentioned that you also bought your parents a home. Uh, I had a hand in buying my parents a home. I, w- I didn't, I'm not going to say I, I was 100%. You know, I put it all everything up for you know I had okay. a hand in it you know I you know they they did that themselves what is some like we spoke about some of the things you regret but uh, what are some of the things that you're most happy about with the, you know doing with the money when you had it oh no when I had it uh, I, I didn't I'm the type of guy if I have it my, my people's have it mm. you know I never you know not did you know anything for you know my people's or uh, I didn't just keep it to myself, you know. I, I it brings me joy being able to do for others, mm. you know. So, what I did for my my mom and my dad at the time, that brought me joy, mm. you know. What I do for my sister, what I did for my sister at the time, that brought me joy. Seeing them happy, being able to sure. have them, you know, ask me or, you know, just being able to to to, you know. As, Growing up, you always want to give back to your family, don't you? You always want to be like, you know sure. what? When I get to when I get this career, I want to, you know, I want to take care of my my family. So that's what I did. I took care of my family, even my friends. You know, it, it brings me joy to you know go out to dinner, simple as dinner, and take care of the tab. Did you always have um, later on to realize that you had people around you that were only there because you had money or it was had nah, fame? Nah. So you had real people nah, around. I, had, you? I always had real people around me. Mm. Always had real mm. people around me. That's one thing I, I always had was people who were there, with me before I had money, before they even knew mm. I was going to have it. Mm. You know, one thing you said that really stuck out to me is you said, you know, 
you became that you, even though you became successful, mm-hmm. you weren't happy. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'll be honest with you, man, that shit really stood out to me because I was like, here's a guy who probably fulfilled a lot of his dreams mm-hmm. or fulfilled a lot of what he expected. Like, yo, I would love to play in the NBA. I would love to have money. I would love to have cars. And you did all that, mm-hmm. and you weren't happy. Why? Well, you know what? I have a better understanding of why I wasn't happy now, looking back. Um, when I was going through it, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was keeping not keeping me happy. I don't know. I was always looking for more. Back then, I was always looking for the bigger car. It was some, when, If I had a car, I wasn't satisfied with that i needed something else so i got a truck then i wasn't satisfied with the truck so i got a a, a, a pickup truck then i wasn't satisfied with that i needed a, i needed a car with switches on it or you know i bought last year's jordans but i want this year's jordans in the same in the, in the same style a different colorway it was always something to outdo what i already did or sure. already had and now and you know i know you want you want to talk about this later you know with what I have now in Christ and my, my, my spiritual walk, I know what I was missing back then. I was always chasing something that I, was, I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't satisfied. That's why I needed to buy sneakers every week. That's why you saw me every week. Mm. Matter of fact, that's why you saw me three times a week. Yeah. You know, because I, I was always looking for something to satisfy, you know, something that I was missing. You know, I, I was hooping in the NBA, but I wanted more. I was playing... For the Lakers, I was playing for the Miami Heat. I played for the Cavs, but I was still I was I still wasn't happy. Why? Like, if you think about it, I'm living my dreams. I'm providing for my family. I'm driving nice cars, traveling the world. Got the hottest, you know, sneakers, you know, on my feet because of Premium Pete <laughs> taking care of me every week. I got jewelry. I'm I got the fame. Why wouldn't I be happy? But I wasn't, and I guess we'll we'll talk to we'll talk later about. You know, did you ever think about? Uh, I know it's not something that we always do, but you ever think about going to see a therapist at that time? A therapist? No, just I, I know I know it sounds crazy. A therapist. But what I'm saying is not being happy and not. You ever think about talking to somebody? You know what I mean? Sometimes. No, when I was in it, I, I I didn't know I was unhappy. Okay, okay. When I was in it, I didn't know I was unhappy. I I was just looking for something greater. Something more, something yeah. I didn't have. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know going through it, I wasn't happy. That's no, why I said. Do you I believe in talking with somebody? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, you I believe it helps. I, I believe it helps. I don't think you need to pay somebody to uh, yeah. talk. You know, to you know, talk to somebody. I believe, you know, anybody who has an heir, you know, a friend, somebody who really cares sure. for you. But that's the thing. You got to find someone who cares for you because you know sometimes people be uh, you know chewing your ear and it's like they don't even really care mm-hmm. and you know but you you know i guess you got to find that yeah. i just believe that if i you know even me sometimes i tell you that you know i sometimes i wake up or or i'll go through spurts of depression and 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 not know why mm-hmm. and i'm like yo i got my kids you know i'm doing the best i could do i'm i'm i'm, I'm following some of my dreams you mm-hmm. know i got a great family like why am i not happy and uh you know when I was younger, I did uh, have a therapist, mm-hmm. but um, my parents put me there, so it's like I didn't I didn't tell them anything. Yeah. I, I I was like, yeah, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. You know, like I didn't give anything. But I think 
you know, like I've had many people on that that went to marriage counseling or went to regular counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, would you ever think? Have you ever sat with somebody? Yeah, I have. You know, especially after uh, after my my mom's passing. Mm. You know, I sat with somebody when I was about ten, eleven years old. You know, kind of speak about my feelings and things like that. Mm-hmm. You no, know, but at that age, I didn't really open up. Yeah, didn't really know how to you know communicate my my feelings or express my thoughts. Yeah, but now I have a past in my life that I could do that too. I can yeah. open up and share, and you know, get some oversight. That's you know finding finding God, but more so finding yourself is important. Yes, sir. We'll get to that. Let's uh, move on um, to uh, you're at Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Fifteen games into the season, you're a starting fucking point guard. Yes, sir. Okay, you play. How long did you stay there? I was there for a year. Okay, and that experience was incredible. Okay, and then how? Why did you leave? Like, did you get? Uh, did they, they didn't um, resign you? Well, that was the year. That was the years before LeBron got there. Mm-hmm. So when I was in Cleveland, he was still, he was a senior in high school. LeBron. Okay. So I don't know if you know or paid attention, but they cleaned house for LeBron James. Mm. They. They even switched the arenas. They gutted it out, gave it a new name, put new seats. Like it, it became a, a whole new arena. Did Dan Gilbert own it back then too? When you were there, I don't remember. Did you ever meet the owner at the time? You know oh I mean? yeah, of course, yeah, of course. But I just, you know, it's so 2002, so long ago. Yeah, yeah I remember seeing like a video uh, um, of um, like Ricky Davis and a bunch mm-hmm. of other people commenting on LeBron yeah. coming. Yeah. Some people, I think you said something good, but I yeah. think some people were like, "This guy think he's gonna come from high school and do and and well, yeah. we'll see. We'll give him some time." Like, uh-huh. wh- why do you think people didn't believe in high school stars at that time? It's not that they didn't believe it, but they, you know, you got to remember this is guys' livelihoods. This is how we, you know, get paid to you know feed our families. We're not gonna say that somebody else coming behind us is gonna come in and you know potentially take our spot. You know what? What sense would that make? Yeah. I'm I'm the small forward of the, of the Cleveland Cavaliers, but this guy is still in high school. I'm gonna say, oh yeah, he could definitely come in and take my spot. No, I'm gonna be I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna be just I'm. I would have been just like, you know, Darius. I'm not going to name Darius Mouse. I'm not going to name any names. Come on, man. I'm not going to name any names. But, of course, I'm not going to be like, yeah, this guy. Where knows. is Darius Mouse now? I don't know. I don't know. He's a LeBron, uh, LeBron's weed carrier. Now, <laughs> yeah. I'm only playing. I don't want to say that about Come somebody. On, stop. But, um, you know, you, you even think about people who came out of high school later on. You know, you think about, like, people like, you know, uh, Sebastian Telfair mm-hmm. and uh, Lance Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Even Kenny Anderson, you know, or like you know, these these guys that were almost larger than life coming out of high school, you know. So it's like you know, there's a there's a business for that. Yeah. Is college fully needed? Yes. Why some, for some guys? Why? Because some guys need that 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 structure, that tutelage, mm. that fine tuning. That's what college does. It gives you know, everybody in high school is raw. We're raw talents in high school. There's not, there's no real, you know, coaching being done in the high school. It's just more babysitting in high school. You know, when it comes to the coaches, and you know, you put all these these talented guys together, and they, you just throw them out there. You give them a game plan. I hope that they run the plays. But in college, it's more okay. Now we have a system. Now we're going to teach you the proper techniques on how to, you know, shoot a jump hook, how to, you know, do a drop step. 
how to, you know, pivot this way, how to pivot that way, triple threat. So that's where you learn those basic fundamentals, you know, that you that you do in games. A lot of guys who a lot of guys are talented in high school but lack the fundamentals and that in college that's where you get it. And prime example, you know, uh, look at Kwame Brown. Mm. Raw talent then have the fundamentals. Mm. And that's you know and I'm not saying that to knock him. I'm just, you know, he was he went straight out of high school. Kevin Garnett, great talent, you know, but you know, he's not he's not Tim Duncan. Mm. You know, you know Tim Duncan got the fundamentals, you know, Kevin Garnett's sure. a great player. I love Kevin Garnett in my oh in my in my adult st- uh basketball career is my favorite player because mm. he brings so much to the table. Not just scoring, but he blocks shots. He plays defense. He, you know, motivates his guys to be better. He doesn't back down from nobody. You know, he does everything. Gets assists. You know, everything. He, he all across the board. You see Kevin Garnett all across the board. He he gets his numbers, not just in the scoring uh, category. Mm. But when you think of Kevin Garnett, you just you think of how talented he was, and how raw he was, and you know how gifted he was. But when you think of Tim Duncan, you think of oh. Oh yeah, he had that. You know, he was fundamental. You know, he had that that footwork. He had that turnaround backboard shot. He had, you know, he had all. It's two totally Smooth, different talents. Yeah. yeah, two totally different games. And not and not knocking Kevin Garnett again. Sure, sure. I'm not saying that. This is we're not trying to knock yeah. anybody. We're just keeping it real. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Let's take a quick break. Um, internet's listen. Bring up some uh, basketball game. Bring up Love and Basketball. You fuck with Love and Basketball? Yeah, that's all right, man. Well, what's one of your favorite basketball movies or documentaries? Uh, a documentary? Yeah. You have one that you like? I don't know. What would you consider Above the Rim a documentary? Um, above the Rim is super classic. Internet, yeah. throw on Above the Rim <laughs> and uh, get yourself uh, a glass of fruit punch, maybe some pink lemonade. We're sitting here with Smush Parker. We'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. Yes, sir. Cheer. What up, what up, y'all? This your main man, M. Greasy, a.k.a. Memphis Bleak, a.k.a. Greasy, a.k.a. Blizzle, and a.k.a. Fuck Your Wife, right here on the Premium Pete Show. And I don't mean fuck her as, like, I don't like her. I mean fuck her as I take her from you. You heard me? Yeah. And we're back, sitting here with Smush Parker. Listen, you spent a year with the Cavs, then you moved on over to where? The infamous L.A.? No, no, no. Um, The year after um, Cleveland. I actually tried out for the Atlanta Hawks, and business of basketball got me released. Um, that's a I don't want to go into that, um, but I got got released from the Atlanta Hawks. Spent like six games in the CBA. Mm-hmm. This this was before the MBDL, mm-hmm. the uh, CBA, and I was like, "Yo, this is for the birds. I, I'm I need to get paid." So I took my talents across the water and played in Greece for a year. Mm. Now, were you ever worried about being able to come back? No, I was never worried about that. Because, you know, you're in the NBA and then then you're in Greece, Mm -hmm. even though the views are nice. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like it's not the NBA. No, it definitely wasn't the NBA. And you were just playing in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, But my agent, you know, told me, you know, having a good agent in your corner is, is a must. So he told me I could go overseas and make some bread and continue to you know stay sharp and get better and uh grow as a player develop as a player and then i can always come back the next season and play in the nba how'd you find your agent uh through ronnie parker like i said he he had all this stuff he had the blueprint 
and I followed the blueprint. I questioned. I never questioned his authority. You know, did you now looking back? You know, um, and you're in a position. Were you ever able to be a Rodney Parker to somebody else yet? No, not yet. Do you plan to be? Uh, yeah. You know, I'm right now. I'm currently, you know, doing inspirational speaking to you know, you know various you know kids at different you know programs. Whether it's a basketball camp, whether it's uh, for PA a police athletic league, okay. I, I've worked heavily with them all summer. Um, you know, in the inner city, um, you know, going up different playgrounds and talking to the youth in the playgrounds. Um, so I'm I'm definitely, you know, trying to be more hands on with the youth because there's a lot of you know experience and a lot of knowledge that I acquired over the years that I will I I want to share. Sure, you know, in sports, um, you have fans. Mm-hmm. And fans um, are critical, mm-hmm. and they're judgmental, and it's like it's amazing how, you know, you could become so famous, you could become wealthy, mm-hmm. but you also could be judged by so many people. Yes, sir. Like meaning, you know, people who leave a team and then go to another team when you're in that stadium, they're like, "You piece of shit, you fuckhead," mm. you know? Yeah. How you know? I know, especially when you went over to the Lakers, you know, and. Uh, how did you deal with all that like hate from people? Did you see any of it or? Well, no. Playing in the NBA, you kind of get um, guarded from all of that stuff. You know, um, no. I played overseas where the hatred and the fans have more control than the cops in the in the city at games. So I've I've been in in, in arenas where. You know, the fans really control the outcomes of, you know, basketball games. So when I come here and play in the NBA, or when I was playing in the NBA and the fans are, you know, sitting in the stands with their legs crossed and, you know, their you know, suit and tie and, you know, they're drinking their beer and just eating their hot dog, it, it was nothing for me. It was it, That's comfortable. I grew up playing at West 4th Street where, you know, the, you know we got we got guys on a fence, shaking a fence. Sure, sure. You, know, you ever had fans, like, curse at you and tell you you're a bum piece of shit? I still have fans curse at me and tell me I'm a bum piece well, of shit. Uh, are these Laker fans? Uh, they're Kobe fans. You sure it's not any Laker fans? It's Kobe fans? Like, they're still mad at you? Yeah, they're still mad at me. You know, you know I, even, like, doing research, like, you know, I never had to do research on you, yeah. but, you know, wanted to sit down and, and have you do this. I'm like, man, why do these Laker fans fucking have so much hate? You know what it is? Because I, you know, I was the only one that, you know, speak up against, you know, on, you know, call Kobe oh, out yeah. on some of his, you know, his issues or not issues, but just some of the stuff that we didn't agree on. Yeah. Now I know you handled yourself professionally, but at the same time, you're a Brooklyn kid. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like, sometimes somebody gonna say something crazy. You know, they may be able to get touched. Mm. There's plenty of people who played in the NBA that, you know, were bad boys yep. or just didn't play around with that shit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when you went through a lot of your uh, situations with Kobe, mm-hmm. you never um, ever tried to, like, you know, like, you know, for him to say something like, nah, you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I know you, but what I'm saying is, like, somebody saying some wild shit to you, you don't ever want to, like, try to snuff him or something? You know what? I had thoughts of it, but I, I wasn't crazy enough to, you know, put my job in jeopardy. Mm. You know, mm. it's uh, you know, uh, something that you you think about, and you know, being from a Brooklyn kid, yeah, it's your natural instinct to be like, "Oh, what you say?" But mm. at the same time, you know, it's with any job. You know, if, you know, if I could be, you know, uh, the the coffee maker at Starbucks. 
You know, but if I don't want to lose my job, if the if the if the uh, if my coworkers say something crazy to me, I'm not gonna pop off at in, at Starbucks because I want to keep my job. So that's what it was for me out in L.A. When if something happened and it went down, I wasn't quick to just pop off. Mm-hmm. No, I respect that. Let's get to how you even got to L.A. So you played in Greece. Played in Greece. Okay. Came back. Um, worked out. Uh, got a got a got a gig. <laughs> Uh, it's funny, I call it a gig. I got a gig with the Detroit Pistons. Okay. How long did you play with them? Um, I played with them for two months. Remember the contract I was telling you about, you know, about it not being guaranteed for the yes, year? Yes, yes, yes. They cut me right at January 14th. Oh, okay. So they, they, they Again, did. business okay. of basketball. Okay. You know, so I, I'll, I'll explain it, the business of basketball at this time. So um, I was playing with the bad boys, you know, Ben Wallace, Rasheed yep. Wallace, yep. Tayshawn Prince, Chauncey Billups. You know these guys just got finished winning the championship the uh, the, the season before, so you already know they walking around with the. Uh, I don't know if y'all remember Rasheed Wallace had the uh, the the WWF championship belts. He bought he bought everybody in the starting five the WWF championship belts. It was all it was gold. Yo, it was crazy. It was like this big. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. Um, uh, great team, by the way. You know, love playing with those guys. Um, Larry Brown is a, a great guy, great coach. Hard to play for though. Likes to scream. Um, How'd you deal with the uh, screaming? I, did, I I could not get comfortable. Mm. You know, playing for him and playing for Phil Jackson is like night and day. But back to the business of basketball, there was a rookie on the team uh, team by the name of uh, Horace Jenkins. Um, we were both point guards, and we were going into the season. And because he was a rookie, and he was getting a rookie minimum. Um, and I was, you know, a second year in the, in the NBA, and I was getting the second year minimum because we kind of did similar stuff. There wasn't, you know, two. I wasn't getting any playing time playing behind Chunzi Billups and Lindsey Hunter, so they didn't need me. Mm. So they kept him because he caught he he. They didn't it didn't cost him. Uh, yeah, it was a much. business move. Yeah. So business about I got cut, even though I, I might in my eyes I knew I was a better player, but they didn't need me. They didn't need him. So you came back from Greece. I came back to, to try out for the Pistons. Yep, I made, made the Pistons. The team. Yep, and got released so, in January. How did you stay? Honestly, I mean, you know, how the hell did you stay like uh, without doubting yourself and, Listen, and not getting? I never doubted myself. I never. I knew I was. I proved that I was mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. I proved everywhere I went. I proved that I was good enough to make it. it was just the business of basketball. Every time I, I got called into the uh, the coach's office, it was you know. It, it, the conversation was never listen. You know, you, you're not good enough. Um, this guy is better than you. You know, we need to release you. It was always, well, you know, um, you you did everything you you could do to make this team. Well, I appreciate you being here, but uh, you know, um, honestly, this guy's cheaper, and it, it costs. So the business of basketball was always the reason why I got cut mm-hmm. from any team in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so move, you you uh, get cut from the Pistons. Get cut from the Pistons. Go down to the M, uh, MBDL. This was the first year that MBDL was set put in place. What is that for people who don't know? Uh, the uh, NBA uh, National Basketball Development the League. Okay. Everybody should know who the, what the MBDL. No, I mean is maybe now. somebody was listening who now, doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I mean we have an audience listening who doesn't even watch true, basketball. True. True. So I went down to the MBDL and uh, played about six or seven. Games down there got the uh, MBDL's first two triple doubles. I was I was down there averaging a, a, a damn near a triple double every game. Got called up to the Phoenix Suns. 
again, there's when uh, Steve Nash was there. Uh, what? Or, no, um, who else was there? Tim Thomas, Sean Marion, Rajon Bell, mm-hmm. um, the Brazilian Blur. Oh, uh, Barbosa. Yeah. So um, they called me up. I played. I, I got two ten day contracts there. You know, uh, after the two ten days, they you know kind of let me go, and I finished the season in the MBDL. And then it wasn't until the next season that I made I made the LA roster. Mm. The how? Same, how did you make the LA the roster? The same way I made every single other roster. I got invited to camp and I beat everybody out for the spot. Mm. Everybody, and it, I was like a I was like a prize. I was like a, a horse racer. Like I was I was like a horse. You put me up against anybody. I'm gonna look them in the eyes and I'm gonna beat I'm gonna beat I'm gonna beat you out for that spot. Mm. I was I had, I'm from Brooklyn. I wasn't coming in second. I wasn't coming in second to nobody. Sure, sure. Take us through the first day you met Kobe Bryant. Have I did I ever meet Kobe Bryant? Yeah, I don't think I ever met Kobe Bryant. Never shook your hand. I mean, we might have gave given given me dap, you know, on a basketball court, but you know, we never talked. We never hung out. Um, you never no, went up and said what's up when no, you. There was no. There was none of that. Unfortunately, it was just a coworker. Never, never really engaged. But but were you the only one, or he just didn't talk no, with anybody? No, anybody. So there was nobody on that team that he was cool with? Um, he might have been cool with Lamar Odom. He might have chopped it up with him a little bit. Um, Why do you think he was cool with him? I don't want to, you know, get into that. You know, I don't know why he chose to uh, be friend- friendlier to others than he was to to others. But, you know, it was, a, it was a situation where I, at the end of the day, was in the wrong for, you know, some of the decisions that I, you know— I made when I was when I was in LA. No, what do you mean by that? No, because at the end of the day, he he was the leader. Yeah, he was the leader, hands down. He was the leader. I wasn't coming in to you know try to de- de- dethrone him. I wasn't, you know, my job wasn't to come in and be a leader. You know, um, my job was to fall in line, mm. and you know, um, I didn't fall in line. Yeah. It don't matter. Who, Is there a reason why you didn't do that? Well, because I'm I'm from Brooklyn. I'm hard headed. Mm. I'm stubborn. Mm. I mean, it's it's a gift and a curse. You know, it got me. It got to. It got me to where I needed to get to. But it also, you know, uh, got me cut. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, when you speak about when people speak about uh, your relationship with Kobe, mm-hmm. you know, usually always gets a bad rap. Yeah. You know, but in the Western Conference series against the Suns, where you stole the ball from Steve Nash, yes, sir. To help tie the game, mm-hmm. there was a big embrace between the two of you, mm-hmm. you and Kobe. Do you remember any of good moments with him like that? Yeah, we had several. And and a lot. what a lot of people don't understand is me and Kobe really never had a falling out when I was in L.A. We never had a falling out. We never had an exchange of negative words. We never had an exchange of him saying, yo, you suck, or why are you even here? And me, I never said to him, "Yo, nigga, pass the ball." And like it was nothing. We it was just we were teammates, you know. I he when when you did see him talk to me on the court, it was yo, you know, um, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. Look for me here, or you know, when you do this, try to do that. Like he, it was it was all basketball commu- uh, commu- It was a basketball relationship. You know, when we stepped on the court, we both wore the Laker jersey, so we were both. We both had the same agenda. To True. Try, try Teammates. To, yeah. But, you know, outside of the court, we just never, 
he went his way, I went mine. And, and it, it, it was never any bad animosity. I remember you told me a long time ago that that organization catered to him like like no like you never seen before, you know. Meaning, um, I mean, I might have been out of out of line for saying that. Yeah. No, I'm not yeah. trying to say. No, I, I might have been. Yeah. No, I might have been. You know, immature in some of the things that I said. You know, in previous in- interviews about, you know, uh, my relationship with Kobe and the organization and things like that. You know, uh, but you know, like you said, I'm from Brooklyn and I keep it real. I speak my mind. I don't hold my tongue. And do I regret some of the stuff I said? No. Mm. Uh, will I repeat some of the said uh, stuff I said? No. Mm. But I don't regret it. I mean, at the end of the day, I was I was honest with uh, with my feelings. I was true to myself, and I will never try to you know sit here and say that I want to retract a statement because I said what was on my heart. Yeah, you ever run into him again? No. Yeah. Listen, you know, it is fun. The only thing I didn't enjoy, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I respect Kobe as a as a player and an icon in the mm-hmm. NBA. But uh, you know when they brought up that issue that you had with him, super cocky, and I guess he's just throwing shade back if he felt that shade was coming his way. But you know, I didn't particularly even from knowing you, I didn't like the way uh, you know he was like, um, you know, was he all playing in um, you know France or was he playing uh, overseas? Well, tell him maybe he'll get it, he'll get back here one day and see what they we do over here. Like I don't know if you you heard yeah, that. I'm I mean, sure. yeah. it was a it was a bunch of interviews that he did afterwards, and like you you hit it on the head when you said that he was just trying to you know get back you know at some of the things I said about him. Yeah. You know, um, I uh, for for a lot of the people who don't know what happened, um, like I said, I told you that we didn't have any bad blood when I was in L.A. Um, but I did do an interview, some something similar to like this, a little podcast at down at West Fourth Street, and some of the things I said went viral, and they were you know about him and what my thoughts were about some of his his leadership decisions and who he didn't talk to and some of the things he actually did say to me uh, while I was out there, and it went viral, and I guess it you know it hurt his feelings, it hurt his ego, and his pride was you know cut a little bit, so he decided to retaliate. Mm. Mm. Listen, you played under Phil Jackson, the good Phil Jackson. As a Nick fan, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't even want, I don't even fucking like saying his name oh, anymore. Man. But you played under Phil Jackson, yes, sir. which they call obviously the Zen Master. The Zen Master. Let me ask you, what, uh, what odd things would you would he do in practice? No, funny story. Or games. Uh, I don't have any uh, odd uh, things that he would do because I didn't find anything. Odd that he did. Yeah, but the funniest thing in the world to me was uh, when I was playing in L.A., this was the time where he was having back issues and he Mm -hmm. just got finished having back surgery and he needed his high chair to sit on the sideline. But he, you know, it it was uncomfortable for him to walk. So I don't know if you remember back, um, what do they call them, those big uh, scooters they had. Before the hoverboards, they had, like, the, the big wheels. You stand on there, and you kind of lean oh, forward. Oh, yeah, like that mall cop dude. I yeah, forgot, yeah, yeah. What are they, what, what, they what, called. Are, what are those called? I don't even know. Well, they had... Segways. Segways, Segways there you go. okay. Just imagine, Phil Jackson's about 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, Just imagine this big 6'8", six, 6'9", six, riding a Segway in the gym, coaching. While we're in practice, just rolling around like he's RoboCop <laughs> on this Segway with a straight back. With a know. whistle. Listen, we running up and down the court, you know, fast break. He's rolling on the sideline, 
Yo, it was the craziest, you know, scene. You know, just just picture it. Just try to picture you on a basketball court and this six ten guy now is on a segue just rolling in the in the gym. What are some things that he's said to you over that time there that uh, stuck with you? Um, no, he's 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 uh, a real mellow kind of guy. He never really had a lot to say because he's not a teacher. He's a motivator. Mm-hmm. He didn't, you know, he wasn't uh, uh, overly coaching coach, but he allowed his players to play, and that's how he. That's what made. That's what makes him great, because he allows his players to play. It's a comfortable environment. You go out there and, and play your game, play play through your mistakes, not get you know subbed out because you made a mistake. Like some coaches, you know, he he was big on not embarrassing you as a player, and he said that I'm no, I'm I'm not here to try to embarrass you as a player. So what he would do is if you messed up during a game, he wouldn't like sub you out the next play, like most like most coaches do. Sure. He 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 will let the play go on four or five possessions before he subbed you out. Because he also wanted to see if you was mentally strong enough to play through your 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 mess up. Mm. That's what he was about, you know, being mentally tough. He wanted mentally tough players. Mm. You know, um you played for six years. You played on a bunch of different teams. Mm-hmm. Best team you ever played? The Lakers. Mm. Well, no, not well, well, the best team I ever played on. No, the best team team you ever played uh, against. Oh, against, oh, against the best team I ever played against. Mm. Hmm. I mean, you could add two or three. It doesn't have to just be one. Mm-hmm. Well, it was always tough when I was at well, when I was in LA. It was always tough playing in Utah. That's when Darren Williams was Darren Williams. Mm. That's when he was nice. Mm. You know, AK-47, Carlos Boozer. Uh, who else they had? They had, who else did they have? It was tough playing in Utah. It was also tough playing in San Antonio. Mm. Although I gave Tony Parker buckets because he has my last name. Yeah. I, dest- I, I destroyed Tony Parker when I played against him. He was too small. But But again, Tony Parker, you know what? Tony Parker wasn't the Tony Parker that he is or was in later in his career when I played against him. How do you think that happened? Experience. Mm. You know, a lot of guys, you know, think that it's it's easy playing in the NBA. It's not. It's a. It's it. It, it definitely. You definitely have to mature into that game. Mm. Mm. You definitely have to mature into the play. Like Chris Paul wasn't Chris Paul uh, that he is for the Clippers that he uh, that he was when he was in uh, what. Um, when he was down south, when, uh, when he was in New Orleans, New Orleans, yeah, he was. He's a point guard now, like yeah. he's a point guard now. But he wasn't that that point guard when he was in New Orleans. I destroyed Chris Paul when he was in New Orleans. Mm. Matter of fact, my my dad will tell you, like I was giving him fit so much fits that my dad felt like he headbutted me on purpose. Yeah, and I needed to get four stitches in my lip. Really? Yeah. Do do you ever feel that? Because the L.A. team at that time wasn't, you know, the greatest that you get a lot of blame for that? Meaning, like, there wasn't a bunch of plays that were great at the time. You were I working get, with yeah. No, what, what I hear is they didn't, the L.A. Lakers weren't the greatest at that time. That's why I was the starting point guard. Mm. 
I also seen someone uh, that they were saying that the they, the front office didn't go out and buy anybody. They want to be cheap. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what uh, Kobe decided to say. Oh, oh Kobe said it. See, I didn't even that. know that he said Kobe that. said that. After you know, in retaliation, that's 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 that's, that's what all came. Clap out. back. Yeah. And yeah, whatever. You know, I want you that 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 uh, playoff game against the Suns. Mm-hmm. You know, special. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and you play against uh, Nash. Walk us through that game, like going into that playoff series, and you're playing that series. Well, at that time, um, Phoenix was at the top of the NBA. They was the number one seed, and the NBA had the best record. Steve Nash was MVP that season. You know, he's playing phenomenal. You know, double doubles, averaging like 15 assists. Um, they was playing, they were high scoring, you know, their philosophy, uh, Mike D'Antoni's philosophy. I don't know if any, a lot of people know, but his philosophy is I want to get a quick shot in the first six seconds of the shot clock. Mm. If we don't get it, then we'll, we'll get, we, I want the, uh, I want our shot to come in the last, you know, within the last six seconds. So Again, everything was like fast pace. Get the ball up quick, you know. Take the first open shot. They didn't. They didn't believe in fouls. They don't. They they didn't want to slow the game up. Mm. So going into that playoff series, um, Phil Jackson, my 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 role specifically wasn't to score the ball. My role wasn't to play offense. They said your assignment for this game is to slow Steve Nash down. Mm. That was my assignment. Slow him down. This is where he likes to catch the ball. So we want you to not even go for the offensive rebound. We want you to just go straight to him, face guard him, ninety-four feet. Make sure he doesn't even get the outlet pass. We want somebody else to get the outlet pass. My job was to keep the ball out of his hands, and that's what I. That was my focus throughout the whole series to kind of disrupt their offense through stopping him. Mm. Is there a lot of like? Uh... You know, groups for that 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 go over that, like do you, like meetings and stuff like that. Like people who don't know the, how the NBA moves. Like before you play that, you know, obviously practice. Oh yeah, know? we definitely practice that, but that's not something you can practice per se. Because no, not to do that. Meaning no. like, meaning like uh, the meetings you have to go well, over this type. Oh of stuff. no, we have we have game we have game film or game sessions or game tape uh, sessions, and we have. Um, I'm not gonna say a packet, but like a handout of game plans or, you know, a breakdown of what each player does, know what they're averaging, what their strengths are, and what we want, what our game plan is to take, take what we're planning on taking away. We go over, you know, game scenarios. On watch those, tape? Yeah, we watch tape, and then we walk through game scenarios, defensive schemes, okay? When they run this play, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. When they run this play, this is what we're going to do. When the play, when this play gets the ball, this is what we're going to do. We have breakdowns like that, walkthroughs in practice. Yeah, is the triangle offense hard to the learn? The easiest offense in the world. You just need to have basic common sense. Yeah. Did you believe in it when I did? Yeah. I mean, listen, I love the triangle offense. I believed in it so much. I, you know, I, I, I hated that there was one guy out there just shooting every every single shot. Mm. Because in a triangle offense, everybody can eat. Sure. Everybody on the floor at that time gets average 15 points a game if you ran the triangle offense correctly. Mm. The triangle offense is is a is a is a is a movement offense where everybody is involved. From everybody from 1 through 5, 
touches the ball, and they have scoring opportunities. And if it's run right, everybody can average double figures. Mm. You played overseas. You played um, in Morocco last year. Mm-hmm. You played in China. Mm-hmm. Played in Paris. No, not Paris. Played in Italy. Not Italy. Played in Brazil. Not, not. Come on, you name it. All these places I come do on, man. Play. You tell name me. It, you name it. All these travel <laughs> places that I've been to for vacation. Yo, let me ask you something. <laughs> NBA groupies. Uh, excuse me. NBA groupies. Excuse Is me? it real? Uh, come again. <laughs> Pardon. <laughs> no. I, I wouldn't know. Uh, I never had NBA groupies. No, I, I, I wasn't. My my stardom wasn't that at that level. Did you go out afterwards uh, in some like when you were in that way? Of course, mm-hmm. of course. I I was never a club uh, club goer, mm-hmm. but I did you know go to clubs on occasion. Mm-hmm. On occasion, you know. Uh, before I asked you the best team you played against, mm-hmm. is there best players that you played against? Something that sticks yeah. out to you? Yeah. Uh, the hardest guy I ever had to guard was Baron Davis in his prime. Wow. A B, a healthy BD in his prime, a problem. Mm. Mm. Problem. Mm. Strength, speed, quickness, explosiveness, hops, jumper, handle. He had game. Like, he had street game. He was playing. Matter of fact, he played the NBA like he was playing it out at the park. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He was out there doing the whole shake and bake, and he had it all. When I say he had it all, he had it all. Wow. Wow. Who else? Anybody else that sticks out to you like that? Uh, um, Who who I had to guard. I mean, Steve Nash was a problem also. Totally different different games than Baron Davis. You know, Steve Nash, again, was more so energy fundamentals attack you every single play like the the offense literally ran through him every single play like certain teams that you have point guards where they pass the ball and they go run in the corner that's what Derek Fisher does Mm. you know pass the ball go run in the corner uh, and I'm playing off the ball defense that's to no to any kind of defensive player that's that's a a a cakewalk in the NBA sure but when there's a player who attacks you every single play because if they don't make it happen, nothing is happening on their team. Like the every single thing that happened in, in Phoenix those two years was going through Steve Nash. Mm. He was penetrating, getting into the gaps, probing, probing, getting into the gaps, dribbling, finding this guy for open three, finding this guy for an open dunk, penetrating, shooting threes, shooting one footed layups, mm. shooting off balance. Like it, it was a problem. Mm. After LA, uh, didn't you go to the Heat after that? Yes, sir. How was that? How was playing uh, over there? Did you? Play, how long did you play with the Heat? Well, I got that, that was you know that would have been the first time that I actually really got a contract in the NBA. Mm, really? I, I signed a two year deal with them. For how much? Guaranteed two year deal. Was it the most money you ever made? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I was down there with D Wade, Shaq, J Will, um, and. And oh, what's his name? Uh, I forget his name. Who? Alonzo Morning was down there. Okay. Mm. How was that experience? It did was, you play? Did you play with them? Like, did you I, play, did, I did. I didn't really play. I didn't play with them. But mm-hmm. let me tell you how I got that job. Okay. So, I, everybody knows I played with Kobe. Um, 
that the the year after I played with LA and I was a free agent, you know, I'm and I'm here I'm back here in New York. I went to forty forty Jay Z's club, you know, to watch a Roy Jones fight, you know, okay. I'm a big Roy Jones fan. And I was in there by myself and it was after hours and guess who rose up? Shaq. Shaq rolls into forty forty Dolo. He's by himself. So I'm in the back of one of the rooms hanging out after the fight. He's in there, um, hanging out with me. We talking, having, you know, Kobe conversation, Kobe jokes and things like that. He asked me, yo, uh, where you playing at next season? I said, yo, I'm a free agent, you know, uh, don't know where I'm playing yet, playing at just yet. He called Phil Jackson on the spot. Not Phil Jackson. Pat Riley. Pat Riley. He called Pat Riley on the spot. Pat Riley didn't pick up, but uh, he left him a message. Do you know the next day my agent had a contract on the table for me to sign with the Miami Heat? Fuck. That goes to show you it's who you know. Yeah. I mean, your talent is going to take you to the next yeah. level, but it's who you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So now, that, did he have more Kobe stories than you? Of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> but we, I mean, we didn't really, like, we just laughed, you know, at the whole idea. He had Kobe stories. I had Kobe stories. He was like, yo, how did that go? I was like, yeah, you already know. But it was it was it was lighthearted. We you know had like I we was just chopping it up. Yeah, Shaq is a great guy, by the way. Yeah, Shaq is a great guy. When I tell you he's the, it don't get no better than Shaq. Mm. It don't in the mm. NBA at that you know at that fame level. He 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 jokes. He kids. He he'll talk to anybody. He he when when you see him, he doesn't even approach you like he's Shaquille O'Neal. He's just a regular dude, mm. and that's how that that's his personality. Yeah, he's bigger than life. Yeah, you know. um you go, you go to Miami, and you, mm-hmm. that was the last stop that mm-hmm. you played in the NBA. And then you went back overseas. Yeah. You know, um, I've heard you say before that uh, that there was some... The fans are crazy in, in overseas, yes, but they they're are. very loyal. Mm-hmm. And they care. To me, it's just like hip-hop. Like you go overseas, they know every word. You know, sometimes in New York, people are afraid to show love. You know what I mean? Yeah. How has the fans been overseas to you? Uh, they're, they're passionate, man. They... Uh... They actually uh, made me, help me, pr- help bring the love of the game back for me. Um, I pl- told you before, I, my playing in Greece was my first stop. You know, got a Greek cup. I won a Greek championship out there in Greece. Uh, next, um, first years out of the NBA, I played in China. Played two years there, won two championships. Then I went to Russia. I've been to Croatia. I've been to Venezuela. God damn, you got a lot of stamps on your passport. Yeah, listen, I'm on my second man. I'm about to move to my third. Mm. Um, Lebanon, Greece again. And uh, where you going this year? You, you, I don't know yet. Okay, I don't know yet. But you, you, you'll wind up somewhere. Yeah, you know, I've I've tried to actually I've tried to play somewhere different every year. Yeah, because I when I decided to leave the NBA, I wanted to travel the world. Yeah. And that was one thing I told myself. I was like, listen. Basketball is going to open the doors for me to, you know, see different parts of the world that I'd never even thought I would poss- I would be able to see. So I said, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to do what I love doing and travel the world at the same time. Mm. Who would have thought a kid from Brooklyn was playing in West Forth, you know. Shout that out would, to West Forth. I mean, that would travel the world, you know. A yeah. um, couple things before we wind down this episode. You know, you... you, you um, you and um, you recently just um, said uh, I don't know when this was, but with the big three yeah. that you wanted to do a big three. Were you joking around? No, I definitely wanted to play in the big three. Yeah, I uh, definitely had the opportunity to to play in the big three. I went to the combine, and you know it didn't work out for me. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't make any of the teams. 
it yeah. happens. Um, you know, um, I had a – I didn't actually follow the season, but, you know, it looked like it was a successful season. Sure, sure. Maybe it'll come back for another one. Yeah. It's good for things like that to open up because then I feel like it opens up other doors. Yes, sir. Any regrets looking back? Regrets? No, I don't have any regrets because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be the player or the person sitting before you today without those experiences. You know, you spoke about church. Yeah. You spoke about, you know, finding God. And, and really, since, you know, I know you for many years, you know, you, your mindset is totally different in the mm-hmm. sense of, you know, I even think when you speak about Kobe, to be honest with you, you're more heartfelt in the sense of you're like, you know, maybe like taking responsibility more or just like what made you find God like that? Well, um, when I was playing at NBA and I was going through my unhappy stage when I didn't know I was unhappy, but I didn't know I was I was missing something. I didn't know I was unhappy at the time, but I didn't know I was missing something. Um, mind you, again, like I said, I'm I'm living my dreams. As a child, I wanted to play in the NBA and playing in the NBA. As growing up, I wanted cars. I had cars. When I was growing up, I wanted jewelry. I had jewelry. Uh, when I was in high school, I wanted girls because that's when I started, you know, sure, sure. knowing what girls were in high school. Um, I had the women, you know, I, I had, I had, I had it all. I, I had everything that I wanted, but it was still something that was missing. I didn't know what, and that's why, that's why I wasn't happy. But I didn't know I wasn't happy at the time. I just knew something was missing. Um, it wasn't until I was reunited with my church, reunited with Christ that that void that I've been searching for pretty much my whole life was filled. Like that emptiness, that 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 desire to want and need something more was filled. And the crazy thing is I didn't have the NBA anymore. I didn't have all the cars. I didn't have the fame. I didn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, flossing with all the jewelry and stuff like that. All of that was gone, but when I found Christ, that void that I was missing back in the day was filled and I was happier. Mm. Mm. I was happier with Christ and not with the NBA than I was with the NBA and not with Christ. Sure, sure. You know, um, people coming into the league, young kids in high school, young kids in college, what advice would you give somebody if if they're listening to somebody? Well, that's that's interesting because it's, it's I'm battling whether I want to you know lead them to a Christ walk in their early age or just tell them that you know to invest their money and you know don't give up in your dreams and you know don't let no one tell you that you can't do something or don't dis don't get discouraged with your circumstances. Sure, because that's what that's that's a that's that's another thing. Like I didn't allow my current circumstances to dictate whether or not I was good enough to play in the NBA or not. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if if we sat down and walked through my entire journey at every stage, there was a, a setback, but I didn't allow my setback to, to tell me that I wasn't good enough. In my mind, I believed in myself, even though I, even though at the time it looked like nobody believed in me, I believed in myself. And that's why I kept elevating because I believed in myself. So if there was a any kind of you no know, message that I would tell to the youth growing up is, you know, don't allow your current circumstances to dictate whether or not you believe that you're good enough or not. 
and that and that goes with in in life, it's not just basketball. That goes with in life. Mm. Now it makes sense because even when you say like when you go through circumstances, I think that's when people give up. Mm-hmm. You know, even we look at like recovering addicts. You know, it's like their girlfriend leaves them, somebody passes away in the family, they lose their job, they go back and mm-hmm. and use. And, uh, you know, you got to just stay strong regardless yeah. in life. Now, I agree with that totally. I'll tell you one thing. Listen, your journey has been um, definitely amazing, up and down, um, but you stuck through it. And, and, and like I said, and I'm going to end it this way, uh, what I'm going to say. Well, actually, what, what else are you doing right now? Um, oh, and yeah. wh- where are you on Instagram? What, what, uh, uh, I'm at, you know, Smush Parker Elite, Smush underscore Parker underscore Elite. Um, it's my Instagram and Facebook page. You're on uh, Twitter? Nah, okay. I'm not on Twitter. Twitter? I'm, not, I'm, not, Twitter. I'm, not, I'm not big enough for Twitter yet, man. That's for, that's for you know, that's superstardom right there. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to say what I said before as we end this episode. I appreciate you uh, stopping by and going over the journey. Yes, but I do want to say uh, you're a walk-on that made it into the NBA. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So from the playgrounds in New York City to the courts all over the world, you know, you played in them. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at it like that, that's an inspiration, you know, mm. so. But, you know, maybe you have Kobe over for Christmas this year, you maybe, know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. You know? Maybe I'll have him <laughs> over for some nutmeg. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, internets, listen, Smush Parker, check yes, him out, sir. check him what's going on, and uh, we'll see you next episode. Appreciate you. Yeah, cheer. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to reach out to me. Email me. Tweet me, okay? Email thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. At Twitter, at Premium P, at Premium P Show on Instagram, at Premium P, at Premium P Show also. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you didn't like. And also, to all my small businesses or big businesses, no matter how small or big you are, you want to advertise with the Premium P Show, get at me. The Premium P Show at gmail.com, and we'll figure something out, okay? Now, make sure you subscribe, rate, and tell a friend to tell a friend. And I'll see you next episode. Cheer.